I don't know if this is recording, but it's 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 important. Um, <clears throat> people need to understand first off that all of our politics is sort of based on this sort of capital versus worker, uh, imperialist versus colonized person, and so the fact that we still have a colony that while we're not doing like plantation slavery we're tapping for resources the same way that britain did in india there's really no difference and that should get people thinking in the right direction that's the first thing i think that's important about puerto rico why i've always been sort of like an issue for me the second part is that i mean let's be honest the first um remote call we took as a podcast we were talking to you from the streets of old san juan you could hear fucking pots and pans and that very night uh the president resigned and it was just like i remember the first time we did that because we were in the studio we had the cans on we hung up carl hit like disconnected from the from the skype call and we turned the microphones off carl took his cans off and just went that was uh was pretty cool (laughs) but yeah that was the first thing we did so it's it's always very meaningful to me that that was the the first sort of like um you know remote not face-to-face recording we ever did yeah we we took down a governor in 2019 yeah (laughs) and you guys got to hear it (laughs) yeah that was yeah i mean uh there are not a lot of new new listeners you can go back and find it wherever it is it's the first time uh not only is the first time maria's on but it's the first time that we actually took a, a a call from from elsewhere, um, way before COVID, way before we ever, way before I'd add Zoom, you know. So it's it, it was pretty it was pretty inspiring. Not only that we did that, but that um, the governor resigned. I mean, the mo- mass movement forced the governor of Puerto Rico to resign. Yes, so that gives in like listeners sort of like a context of how Puerto Ricans can be a force when they unify. They could actually get a governor to resign, even though that's not the agenda of the current administration in Puerto Rico. Um, And it's sort of what we are looking for in the next couple of days. If Luma doesn't get, if they don't get it together and they don't start providing power to the people. It's crazy that after Hurricane Fiona, a category one hurricane, I have family members without power and without water. Those are essential services that should be provided uh, to a colony that belongs to what is supposed to be a developed country. If the United States is in charge of Puerto Rico and everyone in the United States can freely enjoy electricity, that's how they're listening to us, right? And they can go and take a shower or get a glass of water with no problem, the citizens of Puerto Rico should too. And that's not happening at this very moment. And we have very little to no pressure from the government in the United States to make sure that the federal funds that Biden just approved for a month to cover 100% of the recovery only for a month, but at least that things get going rapidly. That's not happening. Well, folks, you probably uh, realize by now that uh, we have an old friend and comrade here in the studio, Maria Bashamp. Um the first thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, how's your health? How are you feeling? Are you feeling all right? Yeah, so I'm mentally exhausted. And 
it as other activists and uh, I'm sure people that can relate to going from one thing to another constantly. Mentally, you get tired. Um, everyone talks about how resilient we are, and I hear that a lot, but I'm tired of being resilient. I'm, I'm tired of having to survive. I want to be able to evolve as every other human has the right to, and especially someone like myself that I have a disability, just to be able to know that I don't have to worry more about other things that I shouldn't, that I could concentrate on my health care and, and do that and, and not have to worry about. Well, now also as an activist, I have to make sure that the communities that I work with have electricity, that they can eat, that they can take a shower. So I, I am mentally tired, and I feel like a lot of my family members and friends are too. Yeah, I feel like um, the fact that to to actually want to work like this to want to work for like human rights and just like for everybody in whatever way you do it whether you do electoral politics whether you do other activism issue activism whether you do activism for example in in, in Puerto Rico which runs the gambit um you you really have to commit to it and it's hard it's hard to love other people it sounds like cringe yeah like, you know, like people don't like it, you can't look, it, it is what it is. Like if you don't, you know, if it sounds weird to you, then it just sounds weird to you. I, I don't know what else to say, but it takes a lot of energy and emotion and mental stamina to have to love other people and to have like everybody be like a stakeholder and you're going to try to fight for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I mean, the stuff that you do is just it's just it's amazing. But let's talk about first before we get into like the deeper, sort of financial stuff. Um, the hurricane. Once again, a terrible storm, in a place where, you know, there are these kind of storms. They're gonna get worse and and more often. Um. You know, it just it it, it ravages um, you know, our colony there. People don't have. They already don't have proper services. Um, we already try to sell off whatever utilities they have as a commodity. We'll talk about that a little bit later with housing. Um, so we're already on a real fragile ground. Um, so the hurricane comes, I guess, a week to 10 days ago, something like that. Yeah. Um, what, what's been the damage? Who's it affecting? And, 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 and what help is, is, is getting through? So... People can get an idea of how Hurricane Fiona found Puerto Rico. Five years ago, Hurricane Maria devastated the island. We move a little bit forward with little progress into the electric grid and uh, giving people housing again, kind of getting life back to a new normal because it's never going to go back to what it was. Um, and in all of that, we also have earthquakes that were hitting the south area of the island constantly. That also took a lot of effort from community organizers to be able to gather help from the north side of the island and drive it to the south part of the island. And that work took months to do. And up to the time that Fiona came to Puerto Rico, you had people that still didn't have housing from Hurricane Maria and a lot of people in the south that had no housing from the earthquakes. Their homes are not livable conditions, so they've been displaced 
the government has done little to nothing to help them. So the people in the South are still very vulnerable. And that's when Fiona hit the hardest. Um, what Fiona also did, even to the northern part of the island, is that there was a lot of rain, more rain that people saw in Hurricane Maria. So people in specific areas of the communities didn't seek shelter beforehand because they didn't have any flooding during Hurricane Maria. This is a Category 1. It can't be that bad. But it actually was. So in the middle of a hurricane, you have people screaming, asking, calling for um, help to be picked up by anyone that would listen so they wouldn't have to die um, in their homes. And that story, it's a story like my niece. Uh, my niece was in her house and suddenly there was a river in her living room and in her room and they were trying to just be able to survive and get out of there or go to higher ground. That was very difficult to do. So now you have another area full of flooding that they never had before and people asking for rescue. And then you have a very vulnerable area with a lot of people that didn't even have housing to begin with getting hit by this hurricane directly. Once Fiona passes, what she leaves is devastation, but no power and no water. So things that people need to clean up, to gather themselves, to be able to eat. Um, so at this very moment, with a lot of people still without power, what you have is mentally exhausted individuals trying to help each other out as best as they can. And the death toll at this time is about 17 people. Yeah, I, th I think, I don't know, what people fail to recognize is at this point, the the history of a place or the strength of a hurricane or, you know, this only happens, it's not that bad. But the, the, the fact of the matter is the infrastructure in Puerto Rico. Well, I mean, think about it like this. This is how I thought about it today. A couple of years ago, there was an ice storm in Texas. All of Texas had a problem for a week. And why? Well, um, they privatized the electricity grid, but really did no upgrades. It was just a way to suck more money out of something. They had to find something to be able to commodify. And they had a big problem. Now, again, that was uh, a big news story because Texas is like actually a state, not a colony. So they actually made a big deal about it. But that happened because the infrastructure is poor. Um, we saw in Flint, Michigan, um, poor infrastructure, poor water. We see, unfortunately, the same shit happening in uh, Mississippi now, in uh, Jackson, I think. And so <clears throat> it doesn't really matter. That's not a storm-related thing. That's an infrastructure-related thing. That's just like we don't care to have public infrastructure that works for everybody. And as a matter of fact, we're going to make it worse because we're not going to fix it. We're going to commodify it. We're going to make it like a stock or like, can it go up? Can it go down? Can we make money? Who can we make money off of? Your water, your, you know, your housing. And so, yeah, I mean, I, this, this falls into a category of things that we're talking about all the time, all the time. It's part of the oppression that there's plenty of history within the states of which are the states and the cities that get the least attention and help. Um, and then a storm 
would just sort of shine light again on things that we have to fix that are beyond natural disasters. These are items of every day that the government should be working on, but they don't. Um, when you have private companies, <laughs> the public safety is not their first concern, it's their pockets. How much money is my company going to make? Uh, or stockholders, we need to make sure that they're happy. We need to make sure that their investments are up and running. And you don't do that by taking care of the people first. There's real no money in public service. Um, public service should really come from a place of the heart and it should come from a place of caring for the human rights of every single individual, regardless of if their ideologies and yours are aligned. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is we have to decommodify uh, a lot more things because we have to look at we have to look at human rights and how we all want to live. You know, um, the idea that uh, electricity is a commodity that we're going to make money off of, and we can't, if we can't make the right thing, then everybody just doesn't get it. Water, same way. Housing, same way. We cannot, cannot think that way. Or else we're going to be trapped in this situation where, you know, I, I think a lot of that dictates sort of where we are politically, where we are, you know, the, 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 the chaos that we have, because... If it doesn't make money, we don't do it. And so if alleviating human suffering, um, you know, if the P.E. ratio is bad on eliminating human suffering, we don't do it. You know, if the rate of return, if the ROI on like assuaging some sort of uh, suffering that people are going through isn't, you know, doesn't meet the threshold of what our investments need to return, we don't do it. And and then we expect things to be like why aren't thi why are people so upset why aren't things nice, I mean it's not that complicated really, yeah. But but it takes it it takes that that leap of understanding that it's just about doing stuff for people. Yeah. So before Luma Energy took over, which is a company that um, the mother company is Quanta Services. Um, this so is the utility. The utility company, correct. So, which Quanta Services is a company that was incorporated in Delaware. Um, when Luma takes over, a lot of people felt like, well, this is going to be great, private, it's awesome. We're finally going to have an outside company come and fix everything. Something that they feel that PREPA and the utility company before was not doing properly. But one thing people fail to know is that uh, the union in Puerto Rico, the, you know, PREPA, um, they, they are not the ones that were administering the power company before Luma take over, right? So we have people appointed by the government making horrible management decisions, not using funding to fix the grid, to do the work that needs to be done. And on top of that, we have workers whose rights and salaries are crap. So here comes Luma, and for the UTIER, which is a Spanish name for, for the union, they say, well, great, we'll work with Luma, but we don't want to lose our benefits. We worked 25 years plus. We don't want to lose our benefits. And Luma said, no, you want to come and work with us? You have to go from zero. So what that gives the government, it's a power to control a narrative, and so do Luma where it's like, let's play the blame games, like who it's a fault. Well, the Puerto Rican workers, they don't want to work with us and we wanted them to come, but they don't tell, hey, what are the conditions of these workers? What are, what are the salaries that you're going to pay them? 
So today we have people from Luma um, that came from out of uh, Puerto Rico from the States to help. And everyone is so happy. Oh, look at the Americans coming and helping. This is so wonderful. But they're not coming for free. They're not coming out of their amazing heart. Their union made sure that their benefits were paid for, that they're going to get a salary, plus that they're going to get funds to eat, plus they're going to be in a nice hotel with AC, with water and electricity. People that, some of them have never even been in the island. People that don't know the structure, people that don't have those 20 plus years of experience. So in the narrative, we want to tell people, well, the grid is the way it is because the Puerto Rican workers, they don't want to work on it because it is their fault and they don't want to do what Luma wants them to do. But we are not talking enough about the conditions in which they wanted these workers to do their job. But it is okay for us to bring Americans to do the job for a lot more money, for a lot. The salary and the funds that are going to go into this can be saved and used to actually fix the infrastructure with the people there that know how to do the work. Classic colonialism. It's how they ran the Raj. Um, you can read about it in Orwell, how they ran the Raj, how the British ran the Raj in, in, in India. Um, you know, how France ran sugar plantations in Haiti. Uh, it's the same. It's the same thing. So uh, make no mistake. You know, if you see a, a, an energy consultant or, you know, a capital investor or any any anybody any other interest like that um, exploiting Puerto Rico, just think of um, the the Bourbons and sugar plantations in Haiti, because it's the same. Uh, it's the same thing, same dynamic at work, exploitation, um, and you know, and the people who there, the workers and other people are just you know they're suffering doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So we could actually go back to the sugar plantations in Puerto Rico when uh, the United States took over, right? So in the 1900s, um, there's an economy based on the sugar plantations and we're going to hire the people in Puerto Rico. We're going to give them work, actually keep them in horrible conditions and pay them little to nothing to do this work. Well, the modern way that now the people in Puerto Rico are being exploited is to what they call tourism economy. So let's have these Airbnbs, let's, let's make these hotels, let's do all this amazing thing. And we are going to hire Puerto Ricans to clean, to manage them. So we are going to get back to the economy of the island. But what they're not really talking about is that this is displacing people, that rents are exaggerated, that people can't afford to now have safe housing because they're not even getting paid enough to be able to, to live, but they have to move because now we have companies that are buying schools that were closed and that they're buying homes and then making them into Airbnbs, yeah. hotels, and so Let's forth. get to it because this is, the, this is the, the way we started talking a few weeks ago. I've been sort of tracking this sort of on the side as part of um, the issue with the U.S. economy. Um housing prices in a lot of areas have gone through the roof after through covid and after um and come to find out this seller's market is really um sort of inflated by 
institutional capital. Um, so hedge funds, for example, or venture capital. Uh, Blackstone, the company Blackstone is doing this not only in the United States, but in Canada. But they're buying up homes just to make them Airbnbs. They're buying up, uh, they're consolidating um, holdings that are, you know, just uh, middle class apartments and stuff for rents, rent seeking. Just classic rentier behavior is driving up these prices. Um, I saw an article uh, that this, this is happening in residential uh, neighborhoods of Dublin in Ireland. So I, I knew it was happening. And I shouldn't have been surprised to find out that, number one, it's happening, of course, at pace in a colony, such as Puerto Rico, which you have information on. And, of course, that a lot of these sort of smaller interests are all um, Delaware corporations and LLCs, uh, which shouldn't come as a surprise to no one who listens to this. Um, but, yeah, can you just sort of lay the groundwork for what is actually happening and the corporations that are coming in and sort of gobbling up residential real estate for commodity for investment and it's just it's it's driving up rents and it's driving people out yeah it, it is so okay so puerto rico they're incorporating a registration law it's sort of similar to delaware they did that in order to make it easy for a business to either register or incorporate themselves um and based on that they also have what is called law 22 um and this law gives investors, sort of quote, um, influencers like Logan Paul and people that have maybe not so much wealth in the United States, but with what they have, they could create more wealth in Puerto Rico because it's completely tax free. So they don't have to worry about paying taxes. Yeah, I did notice uh, a lot of um, so I torture myself and I listen to a lot of these uh, libertarians talk on the internet um, you know and just because I want to understand how a, an adult human being can talk like they're in second grade but I noticed that a couple of them now live in Puerto Rico because they're the big like they they just don't want to pay tax it's just a tax haven it's a tax cheat um, so yeah I mean I don't, do, do, I don't even know if people understand that dynamic yeah, so basically you just, you have to have a home in Puerto Rico. That has to be your main residency. You have to have a license in Puerto Rico. You cannot vote in the United States. You have to vote there, um, which means now that there's more funding going into political campaigns that uh, shouldn't because this is funding to benefit the 1% rather than the entire population of the island. Um, and these benefits are given with what's supposed to be an economic opportunity for these investors to bring jobs to Puerto Rico. But what we have found is that some of these people might have one or two employees or might not have any. And no one in the government in Puerto Rico has actually kept tabs of these people. We're talking about over 3,000 or so residents are living who are actually on social media actively happy that the hurricane came because that gives them 177 consecutive days that they could be out of the island, they could be here in the States, they could be comfortable. So they'll leave the people in Puerto Rico without power and electricity. They're okay, they're happy, they're comfortable in a home here in the United States because they don't have to um, be there since there was a catastrophe. 
Oh, so they get they get dispensation. They can go back to their mansion in New Jersey, North Jersey, or whatever, uh, or in Miami, and just be like, "Oh, actually, we get dispensation that we're not on the island because all these people are American citizens. It doesn't matter. You can just and and so it doesn't even matter. They're just they 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 have every uh, every dispensation given to them so they can have an address in Puerto Rico and pay no tax. Yeah, and that's that's basically it. Now, so um, for over 10 years, the Department of Economic Development and Commerce, they were supposed to just do reports and find out what are these people doing? Are, are they um, abiding by the rules of the law? But since 2015, nothing has been done to keep tabs of what's happening. Um, at that, there is like a random sample of like 304 people that um, have given 10% of their benefits back to the island, whether that's by job creation or donating to a nonprofit. They're supposed to donate funds to a nonprofit. What a lot of the people are doing is they're creating their own nonprofits. Of course. I was just <laughs> I was just gonna say like I hate when it gets to nonprofits because I know like a lot of us work um and do organizing based on um based on nonprofits so that we can have small organizations to do particular things. To yeah. do training, to do organizing, to do advocacy, to do issue campaigns for working people, all that stuff. Yeah. But honestly, the nonprofit is uh it's a tr it's tricky business. So, I mean, you you set up your own, yeah, and then you're like, oh, my nonprofit, who actually just employs like my son and his friend, uh, now get the ten percent, and they're doing like they're building a skate ramp in Old San Juan or something, and you're just like, well, that's not really what we were looking for. But again, it's just a tax cheat. Yeah, it's it's sort of a way to save your funds and keep making yourself and your friends rich and your family members creating wealth only for you and yours and completely exploiting the people of Puerto Rico. But I think it's an added insult that there are jobs that need to be created out of this that we're not seeing. Um, and now the IRS says, hey, we're going to keep close tabs on these people. We want to sort of know what's happening. But there, there's not enough funding within the government organi organizations to actually keep tabs on people to begin with. Well, you know what? As far as I know, I mean, this, this, the, there's a bunch of funds to the IRS now to start dealing with, like, this kind of stuff. But, of course, in the States, it's it's turned like, oh, the IRS is going to come. I got to. They're coming for. The, they're actually just trying to, like, stop people from, like, exploiting and cheating people. But, you know, it's always twisted into a, something nefarious. Yes, yes. So I think another thing that's horrible with this whole thing, it's you can actually go online. So, for example, there it's a website, and it's uh, Puerto Rico Invest in Masterminds. And, I don't know, it makes me choke a little bit, actually. I, I, I want to cry from frustration and, and anger. But they, they think it's so amazing that they're going to have a whole, um, all these events that they're going to plan out because there's 98% of Puerto Rico is opportunity zones including many of its beach properties. Of course. Uh, that angers me so much. I know. Well, we did a thing about opportunity zones. And again, this is just like a buzzword for tax cheats. But like, no one really says that. Like, We did a story about a guy uh, who had like an inside hydroponic farm in, I think it was on Riverside. And uh, 
you know, he does the thing what's a big trope, right? It's like he's a compassionate capitalist and he took all of the like I think some of the Trump administration came and toured it. It's closed now. Um, but that was the same thing. It's an opportunity zone. All that means is you can set up a little tax free thing for a period of time. It can be it's it's tiered. It's like five years, seven years, ten years or whatever. And the longer you keep it there, the bigger tax break you get. If you keep it there maybe over eight or ten, it's tax free. So it's like you buy a home on the beach in Puerto Rico to make it an Airbnb. You never pay any tax. It's tax free. Yeah. It's just a tax cheat. It's incredible. People don't anytime anybody sees the phrase opportunity zone the first thing they should think of is people taking advantage of this are tax cheats. Yeah. You know, again, did that farm on Riverside employ, you know, 10, 12 people at a time for a period of time? Yeah. I mean, does it now? No. Did it, on, did, did it employ 10 or 12 people at 15 or $20 an hour for four or five years so this guy could make, uh, you know, half a million dollars and, and save a half a million dollars in taxes yes and that's just it and 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 really at this point i can understand your frustration because they're using your home as a as a bank yeah so there's a law in puerto rico that says that um the beach is public it belongs to the people and the construction cannot be anywhere close to 20 feet from where the waves crash right but if you go to Dorado and you go to Dorado Beach, you're going to find that it's very hard for the people to be able to go to the beach because there's all these homes that they have built. We're talking about homes that are like $18 million. Eight, $18 million homes in Puerto Rico where most people make $8.25 an hour. Like, does this make any sense? It, it doesn't. But... So that's what you have. And when the people protest, when we go and say, this is ours, we, we demand that the law gets respected, that we have access to it. Oh, well, if you go all the way around on the outside and climb all these rocks, then you're going to be able to come to the side of the beach. I walk there a lot when I'm in Puerto Rico. Um, it's a two mile walk from where I usually stay. I have friends that live nearby. So I only get to go to a certain part because after that there's rocks and then there's all these big mansions and there's security. And I actually feel uncomfortable in my own island because everyone around me does not look like me in that area. They, <laughs> and have, the, they, have, the private, they have the private security too and all that. Yes. Uh. So privilege as its finest. And um, there is a great documentary that I everyone that's listening, um, Bat Bunny, did a music video from his song El Apagón, but it's really with that video you're going to see about 20 minutes of a great documentary from an amazing journalist in Puerto Rico that has been covering this. So I and appreciate people like Bad Bunny who are using the huge international voice to sort of shine light into what's happening, that it's wrong. And a lot of people who say, well, Bad Bunny is making money and he is also part of the problem, but what they don't realize is that um, but Bunny paid taxes that he um, is using his funds to, for example, have an organization that actually does work. It's called Good Bunny. Um, and they help people in the community. And you could actually go physically and see this happening. 
So you can't say that um, someone like Bad Bunny, who's making money with his music, it's not the right person to shine light into what's happening. Yeah, this goes back to the nonprofit thing. Like, I understand why people have a critique of people who take advantage of this law. But on one hand, people sort of have a particular critique of an artist or a famous person. Um, and But they don't have the critique of, like, Blackstone or the people who are coming who are completely invisible to you, who are uh, running the power grid for money. Yeah. They're invisible to you. They don't have – they're not Instagram influencers. So nobody can be like, well, this bad bunny, he's got millions of dollars. Well, yeah, but what is he? What is he doing? So let, let's look at it and see what he's. As you said, go go to the thing and see what he's doing. Um, but the the difference is that person will be critiqued because they're you know they're on TikTok and stuff, yeah. and um, you know the people who run the power grid or buy up all the residential real estate, um, no one knows who they are. Yeah, no one knows. And. We need to seriously be talking about the people that are in charge that we're supposed to be mad at. I don't expect that bunny to come home and start building homes. That's not his job. He's not the governor. I expect the governor to manage properly the funds coming in and to give each municipality the help that they're seeking. You have right now all the different mayors in the 78 municipalities trying to find ways to help their people because the governor is not organized, because Jennifer Gonzalez is excited about getting on Air Force One, but cannot properly say, hey, this is the help that we are actually giving and really put hands on what needs to be done. And that's what we need to be looking at. And who are these political donors donating over half a million dollars to keep things the way they are, to keep the law in their favor? And those are the people we need to look for. I know, like you said, they're not on Instagram, they're not on TikTok, but man, we have to do better. We have to do better for our communities. Yeah, I mean, we can't have, you said it so perfectly, like, we need less people who care about flying on Air Force One and more people who care about making uh, the island uh, what the people want. Um, maybe we should get into that a little bit because we talked a little bit about it. Statehood's always like this big thing and there's always these big arguments about it. Mm -hmm. And you told me maybe one of the first times we talked, like what, what's the, I was, I don't know if I said like, what's the answer? And you were like, I don't really know, but it's not going to come from like uh, a state, uh, you know, a, a, a U.S. representative from, you know, it's not going to come from Richie Torres from New York okay. or some like representative on like some committee um, in the house or whatever. The people of Puerto Rico have to de decide fairly what they want to do. Do they want to be a small island nation? Do they want to be the 51st state? Whatever. What's happening now is is, is not sustainable. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, it's sustainable in a sense for capital interests, mm -hmm. uh, but it just exacerbates human misery. Um, so what's what's the what's the feeling and and Again, it's going to vary, but maybe we'll just talk about sort of your coalition and, and the party that you're a part of and the movement that you're a part of, mm -hmm. the people's movement. What's the general thought on that question, on how we can get away from this colonial relationship and into something 
something else. So we, we truly believe in listening to the people and actively creating a committee of individuals to take this conversation and see what are the benefits of all the possible options and have the United States seriously be part of this conversation throughout the entire process. Um, not as it has been where people vote and whether you want statehood or independency or what do you want and then statehood usually wins and then the United States says, all right, we're going to see, we're going to look at it and then no one does anything. It gets, it, it dies. Or Ocasio and Nidia and people get together and they draft something and then it dies also. That needs to stop. We also don't need to become anything right now for the United States and Puerto Rico to come into agreements of how we could work better. We need to stop being our colony, period. And when you have things like the Jones Act. That, Can you explain to people what that is? So in, in basic terms, Puerto Rico cannot. Right now, there's this all just waiting for authorization from the federal government to be able to have the, the boat and the diesel come out and then be distributed to the island. Because it's first of all, it's not a boat that has a American flag. And it didn't go through the right mechanisms. You know, it has to come to the United States first, and then it goes into an American boat, and then that comes into Puerto Rico. I'm I'm explaining it very basic, right? It's yeah, I think that's right. That. But 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 basically, it's this. Um, it yeah, to get goods into Puerto Rico, they have to first be transferred in in you know in the imperial core, I guess we'll say. And then and then uh, and then doled out to the colony uh, as we see fit, basically. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a there, there's a crink in the in the uh, in the hose there. Uh, but again, it's 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 when people say the Jones Act, just think about uh, colonial relationship. Yes. And then that's another way of making money. Correct. A lot of money. <laughs> right. Not, not Puerto Rico. The United States makes the money. So when, when they have this control of what comes in and what comes out in an emergency, then you have problems like we're seeing right now. Like that it has to go into social media. It has to go viral to put some sort of pressure. Um, and what is then Congress doing? What, what are they working on right now at this very moment to make sure that for at least a period of time that is lifted so we could properly take care of what needs to come in and what needs to come out? It's an emergency. But people are just... I don't know. They're comfortable. They have electricity. They have water. They don't care. But those are the things that we need to work on now, that we need to work on first in order to then see what what's next. And if it's statehood and that's what p people really actually want, then we need to work towards that the proper way. Um, if it's independency, then what does that look like? But what cannot continue to happen is that we cannot continue to ignore the colonial status of Puerto Rico um, and American politicians really need to take a look at this. And at a local level, people are like, well, OK, so I'm in Delaware. And what does this really matter? How what am I going to be able to do? Well, representation matters. And with this, um, everything that's happening, at least for me, as I analyze it, I realize, wait, so in Delaware, we have laws that allow companies to incorporate that are doing a whole bunch of things that are bad that they're hurtful and they're actually illegal who is watching this who is allowing this what are our local politicians doing how can we work in this his name is bullock is the guy's name and he's not watching he does not care mm -hmm. uh 
um, when something comes out, which maybe you can give us an example of, when something comes out that's especially egregious, it's like especially heinous. Like there was like if there's if there's money laundering to like traffic people and somebody reports it, they'll be like, we we had no idea. Well, how would you have any idea? Because you don't ask any questions when you do it to begin with. But then they shut that down. Uh, We're not going to have any of that. But, you know, most of them are fine. There are some of them doing tons of illegal shit, exploiting people in colonies. Uh, But, you know, I mean, who's to say? You know, but there is a person, to be perfectly frank, there's a person responsible for for all of this. He's a very bad person, and he he is a, uh, he's an official right here in the state. He looks like uh, Lex Luthor, which is not, would not surprise you that he looks that way. He's a very, very bad, very bad. So that's sort of how we need to be involved, and we can. And when people say, what can I do to help Puerto Rico? Well, we have to make sure that our local laws and our local politicians are actually truly representing everyone that's part of our community. I live in Delaware. Just This is my home, too. This is my primary home at this moment. And I'm from Puerto Rico. So just like me, you are going to have other neighbors that are from Puerto Rico or descendants of family from Puerto Rico. But regardless of, you have citizens that are living there. They're Puerto Ricans. We are citizens. So you should feel also angry and upset because if that happens to your fellow citizens, it can happen to you too. And if we do not start demanding representation, we are just not going to evolve as a nation and as the world. It's just, it's, it's, we're just not going to get anywhere that as humans we deserve to get. So how's the party stuff doing? Let's get, I mean, can you give us an update on that before we close out? Because this is like... It was exciting. Um, it's exciting when you told us before, you know, you've been on before to sort of talk about the, the genesis of this party and all of that. But, like, it really, your uh, motivation and your excitement about being a big part of it in Puerto Rico came from some of the work, like, that Network Delaware was doing and, and, and campaigns were doing. But that's being transferred um, to this great new movement in Puerto Rico. So let's let's have an update. So I, I'm, I still get excited and I still give credits to Network Delaware, for example, and uh, the the training that I get from them and the support that I continue to get today, it's how a lot of the work that I organize in Puerto Rico gets done. It's with the same philosophy. So we are organizing community leaders so we can mobilize them. At this very moment, most of my work is at the south area of the island in Ponce with one of what here would be like a city council member, um, Jose Hernandez Lazaro, who won uh, from the movement in Ponce. He is like a city council, but his uncle actually was the governor of Puerto Rico, Hernandez Colon. Um, so it's a person that is very familiar with the political scene in Puerto Rico since he was really young, but grew apart from the traditional way of doing politics and with the movement. So it is very important to truly be involved with the people to organize the people, to mobilize the people, and give the communities the empowerment to be able to stand together when the government fell. But we are very clear that we do not want the people to continue to be resilient. We don't want that. We want to continue to elect people that are committed to public service from the heart, not from their wallet, and that actually want to administer 
the island and the municipalities the way that people are deserving of. And it's a lot of work that we have to continue to do. Election time, it's going to creep around us very soon. And we have abortion and the agenda. And we have that problem in Puerto Rico as well. You know, they want to make abortion illegal. And so there's a lot of work that is very similar. It really doesn't change. It's in Spanish. Yeah. But it's I mean, there. <laughs> when you say you're like, we have a person who um, grew up in sort of like the, the milieu of Puerto Rican politics, uh, but has decided to become a movement person. They're on a city council. You're like this. All of this stuff is the stuff that we're we're doing, and we're trying to do local politics, mass movement politics for people. And it's yeah, like you said, it's just in Spanish. Yes, it's the same. <laughs> it's just in Spanish. And um, and I am proud. I'm proud of the work that we do here in Delaware with like Network Delaware. I'm proud of what Carl does and the Working Families Party. So all the new candidates that we have just recently in this primaries and what we have faced in the general election. Um, and I will continue to be part of the work here in Delaware because this is where I got most of my force to be an activist and to be loud and angry about not only what happens here, but also what happens in my home of Puerto Rico. And and be able to show people, hey, you know, slowly, but we're doing it. We're doing it in Delaware. Same issues, just in Spanish. So we could do it here in Puerto Rico as well. So that keeps me going. Oh, Maria, I'm so glad you're here. There's a few people that come into the studio that, like, I get sort of pumped because I know, like, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> Erica Gutierrez is oh, another yes. one. Yeah. I love her very and much. So, but we're on the same wavelength, so... It, it really pumps me up, um, so I'm just glad you, you came in. Now, in Italian, we would say uh, sinistra e ultima. How would you say it in Spanish? It's left is best. No, I'm sorry. Le left is best. Left is best. Uh, la izquierda es mejor. So, yeah, sinistra e ultima. And um, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Thank you.